Welcome everybody. And I want to start by just talking about why we chose this subject. And I have to say, we've had the biggest response to this group and a lot of people can't make it because of time zones and whatnot, but the recording, I've just urged everyone to register because we do send out the recording afterwards, but I'm impressed by how, how much response we've gotten. And no doubt it's because Nelly's here as well, but I also sense that imposter syndrome is a really elusive subject and it's something that we don't really want to talk about. It's in the realm of mental health and that makes a lot of us nervous, I think, still today. And I realize that it's a very specific type of mental health. So we want to put this caveat at the very top of tonight's conversation because Nellie and I are both not experts in this field. We are having a conversation and I've invited Nellie because I've known her for quite some time and I know she's had a really interesting experience working in Australia and beyond. And I think just by talking about stories in general, we really do get a bit of insight. So if there is something that's particularly interesting to you tonight, great. Keep the conversation going. The idea is that we open up a conversation and we talk about it so we can understand ourselves a bit better. But please, if you do feel like this is a persistent problem, that seems to be the, the word that's most important here is if it's persistent. Um, to please seek out professional help. There's many, many services out there online and otherwise. And I, I want to really put that there because, yeah, we, we are having a conversation about Nellie's experience. We're going to talk a little bit about definitions and, and we might even make some generalizations about imposter syndrome. The other thing that I really wanted to clock at the top of this conversation was that it's a really broad subject and people experience imposter syndrome in very different ways and in very vast ways. So whether you are or not experiencing imposter syndrome may be relevant in some cases. It may be helpful to know you are, or it may be helpful to know that maybe you're not and, and then what to do about it. So that's a bit of a, a frame. If anyone's done my courses, I like to talk about frames and to set the scene for, for the conversation following. But why does English for Business care? More precisely because the people that I deal with are usually non-native English speakers working in a culture that isn't the one they grew up in and a professional, a professional context. So often people working in that Anglo-Saxon dominant culture in Australia or in the Middle East um, or New Zealand or um, Singapore, South America, all over the world. I believe that many of the people I'm working with do experience this and they often think I should take a step back in my career when I'm coming into a new culture or a new language and and I should not go I should not go for a job because I don't think I've got the English skills or the communication skills and it's always worried me somewhat so that might be a bit of a conversation or a question I have throughout tonight's conversation for Nellie because I know she brought it up in our conversations leading up to tonight check uh, for me it's okay so telling stories is a really important part of accessing information we don't normally access so that's what we're doing tonight Nellie's going to tell us her story so let me tell you a little bit about Nellie and then she can go into the details more Nellie's a computer engineer she is a woman. <laughs> she is a manager based in Sydney and um, she's worked her whole career in the IT industry and her focus is mainly in managing teams now. And she's had some amazing accolades like being the MVP from Microsoft Azure. And she can tell you more about that. That, that means most valuable professional for anyone in the startup community. Don't get confused. She now works for Atlassian, which is another part of why I was a bit excited to talk to Nellie about this issue because unbeknownst to both of us, we were both at a TEDx, TEDx Sydney in 2017 and we saw Mike Cannon-Brooks speaking from Atlassian about his own experience of imposter syndrome. So I feel like, you know, the, the circle is sort of coming together here um, and Nellie can talk about how that works at Atlassian and her own experiences of working you know, through some of these challenges of, you know, cross-cultural and, and cross-linguistic. So Nellie, thank you so much for your time tonight. I know you've been public speaking already today, so maybe you can tell us a bit about that. Nellie loves public speaking. I don't often get to talk to people who love public speaking. So tell us about what you've been doing today and about public speaking. Hi, 
Sure. Uh, thank you so much for the introduction. Hello, everyone. As uh, Leonie introduced, my name is Nelly, and um, I'm so excited to be here with you today. And today I was in the <laughs> Yao conference. Yao conference is the, one of the, I think, most independent tech conference in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. So today, unlike the other conferences, I didn't have actually talk. I was uh, hosting sessions, basically. Mm -hmm. So um, I was helping speakers to be more comfortable and confident when they're uh, kicking off their talk. So um, Leone already introduced, but I'll do a little bit more introduction about myself. So it's been years. Um, that's the only, I think, industry uh, that I worked in, the tech industry. Uh, I graduated as software engineer. And I started my career to be a technical developer, like a programmer. And I work at different levels, like from junior to now being a um, tech leader. I'm quite engaged with the tech community and uh, doing, obviously, public speaking, mentoring, hosting events, uh, blogging, and all those things. This is my passion. So I'll keep working on that. And um, over time, I transitioned to the management role from the technical role. And currently, I'm an engineering manager at Atlassian, which means I am uh, taking care of people, their career progress, um, obviously building the high-performance team and making sure that the Atlassian projects are going uh, on track and um, like helping with influencing the culture of the team and um, across the company, not just my own team, but across the company and organization. So with the Microsoft MVP that you mentioned, uh, yeah, it's a lovely um, award that they, uh, I was honored that they granted to me. Uh, the main reason was basically when um, you're engaged with the community, it's kind of a recognition from Microsoft, which is really nice. And um, a bit of cultural background about me. Um, I'm originally from Iran and um, I've been in Australia for eight years now. And uh, my second language obviously is English. My first language is Farsi. And as Leonie said, I'm a woman in tech, which is uh, potentially exposed me to have more imposter syndrome, which we are going to talk about it today. And what about um, the other thing I think that, that surprised me was managing people of different ages. You know, there's an age element too. You know, you're yeah. a young woman and managing people who have very experienced and, and been in the industry a very long time. So that was, we'll, we'll get to that as well. Sure. So we were talking a bit about how to define imposter syndrome. And I think we, we all sort of have a sense of it because it's a bit of a pop culture term these days it's a bit of a buzzword but we did a little bit of research and there were a couple of elements that seemed important to acknowledge before we dive into the conversation did you have some thoughts on that Nelly? yeah like um shall we talk about the definitions yeah let's do that yeah cool all right so um as leone said i'm not expert in this topic and leone uh, is not either but and I'm going, not going to throw you, you know, like a motivational talk. It's uh, coming from my experience. Everything basically I'm talking about today came from my experience. So please feel free to ask questions if you feel it doesn't really make sense. So I can clarify with more examples. So um, some people report, uh, you know, like they're feeling about um, their presence at work. Um, as you feel like you are a fraud, which means that you feel you're inadequate for what you're doing and you're not basically um, sure that why are you here? Like, who chose you? Like, why you should be here while you don't know anything, really? That's the genuine feel that people almost, you know, like reported. So, um, and this is interesting because this feeling of being incapable is um, happening despite the fact that you have all their records, documents, and evidence that show you are actually competent at what you're doing. Like for example, your experience, your education, your accomplishment, you have all of them, but still you feel that I just don't know much, so I shouldn't be really here. And sometimes one day someone will catch my 
um, will catch me and, you know, will uh, tell me that you are a fraud, why you are here. So this is a feeling that people reported that they have. And, uh, and I've heard it in practice, like one of my junior developers the other day, uh, she's a female engineer. She actually came and told me, I am really uncomfortable and I think I'm inadequate. And that was the exact word that she was using. And she wasn't sure, about, you know, like she didn't know about imposter syndrome or something like that. And she said, I don't feel that I add value to my team. And everyone are so smart. So I just every day wondering why I'm here, like what I'm doing here, what the heck I'm doing. And um, she felt that she's not legitimate to be in this high profile team, really. So I think that's the gist of um, imposter syndrome, basically. But Leonie, feel free to add more comments if you um, had other investigations. Yeah, we wrote down a few things as well. And um... I'll just read a little bit because, yeah, that when an individual doubts their skills, talents or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed, which is what you said. But I think that that idea of it, it's not just one off, that it happens consistently and you might be sabotaging yourself or you might be working triple time just to make sure that you're doing over and above what is necessary to to be functional in that in that role. And I think, yeah, it's, it can creep in. It can be just a feeling and we can override it or it can creep in and we may not be able to override it. So there's there's lots of different ways of managing this. And the challenge with um, Mike Cannon-Brooks talking about it at TEDx, I was talking to a woman who, who did work, who does work very much in, it, in the imposter syndrome space, and she didn't think he had it. She was very staunch in saying he doesn't have it. The fact that he can override it meant that he is not suffering from imposter syndrome. So, you know, I I think it's still worth acknowledging that there's, there's some fear there of his. But again, what is the real definition? There's, it seems like there's a little bit of room for, for in, interpretation. And there's other words that people use as well, like perceived fraudulence, imposter phenomenon, um, imposterism even. So... Yeah, that sort of self-doubt is, is really important. But maybe we can turn to some of your own personal experiences, Nelly, and how has your current working environment impacted you? Hmm. It's interesting you started with working environment because um, like based on investigations and um, some articles that I read, uh, the environment and external factors actually impact your imposter syndrome. So uh, they are kind of triggers for your imposter syndrome. And um, obviously, as Sigmund Freud saying, um, has a quote about uh, before you diagnose yourself with some kind of depression or, you know, um, low self-esteem, uh, think about your environment and make sure that you're not surrounded by unpleasant people really in the toxic environment. So obviously um, some cultures, some families, workplaces can take away your confidence and make you um, feel unsupported and unloved, which is um, a factor to increase imposter syndrome. Another factor can be lack of diversity in your work environment. If you're the only woman, if you're the only LGBT or the only young in the team or the only junior in the team, obviously, or non-native speaker really, makes you feeling insecure and um, isolated and excluded, which again, impacts your imposter syndrome. So back to your question, uh, if I want to answer more precisely, um, I think the luck is important factor of my life. So I consider myself lucky to be in some environments which was really amazing. And you know, majority of my careers was um, quite great in uh, terms of environment, healthy environment. But obviously, I had some exceptions. Uh, so, like, although my environment was quite healthy, I think. Part of it was my choice as well, because sometimes I compromise some other things to uh, be in the healthy environment and non-toxic environment. So I wouldn't say it's 100% luck. Uh, I had some choices as well. But yeah, I think my environment was quite healthy in this case. Yeah. And I remember you talking a bit about 
your support network. So whether it's just being in the right environment, but also the people around you, even family, how has that impacted you or promoted you? <laughs> yeah, um, I think um, I had enough. Um, probably, you know, when you compare your situation with others, maybe um, it's not comparable. But I was happy with the environment that I was grown up. I think I had enough support from my family. And, um, you know, after my marriage, I had great support from my partner. And um, I like to talk about it later because it's yeah. not that, you know, like um, when you don't have support, you are devastated. You can find and build your supporting system. So let's talk about that in the um you yeah. know other section right, because i think yeah that whole mentorship thing is 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 something that is worth a dedicated segment to because i know a, peop a lot of people here who whose names i'm seeing pop up specifically have challenges so let, let's yeah. postpone that for a moment um but do you think you suffer from imposter syndrome personally <laughs> um i will address it in a moment but i just want to set some assumption first. So having mm -hmm. imposter syndrome doesn't necessarily mean that you're impacted by imposter syndrome. So like building awareness about your issue probably can minimize the impact. So to your question, the answer is yes and no. And I'll explain why. Do I feel imposter syndrome? Yes, occasionally. It's not a constant feeling that I have, but absolutely, occasionally I do. And I think my, you know, like background, my position at work and the industry that I'm working, like all of them potentially expose me to this feeling as well. And I remember the first job that I was doing in Australia, I had surrounded by amazing, I was surrounded by amazing, like super smart, genius people. And I was new to the environment and I was like, keep asking myself, how I get here really, you know, how I can work with these amazing guys or, you know, like um, a few years ago when I was uh, supposed to do a talk and I was supposed to share the stage with the CTO of Microsoft on the same stage and, you know, doing the talk with all the CEO and CTOs of great banks and universities. And I was just a senior developer at that time. Obviously I had that feeling um, and um, I could acknowledge that definitely I felt that. And, um, you know, I was nervous for sure. And uh, probably I was shaking the whole week, but <laughs> um, let's ask this question in another form. Does this imposter syndrome impact me? I would say no like hardly really am i suffering from it no i did i don't really and um i think you know like um probably it's not an internalized feeling inside me that i you know constantly impact my decisions and my um behavior which i think the whole purpose of this um, session is just unpacking why it happened and um you know like um, really, what happened to me in this situation? And I think also later on when we get to talking about Atlassian more specifically, because Mike Cannon Brooks has gone on to champion some of like this this issue specifically, and I think that's what I don't hear a lot of is people actually explicitly identifying it in workplaces. So we'll get to that in a moment as well. Um, so when it does crop up for you, how do you handle it? Hmm. So um, I think definitely um, to manage your imposter syndrome, you need to have a supporting system. You need to have good friends, community, workplace, like partners, whoever are around you definitely can help you. But that's not enough. Like the person um, who just feel this imposter syndrome, I think is the main person who should take the responsibility of this feeling. And um, you can't really sit and say, okay, the environment should help me, you know, my company, the uh, society. I think we should take care of our um, own problems, own the problems and accept that although everything can impact this 
problem, it's my problem, like own it. And probably that's what I tried to do. So um, I had a few um, solutions and I can share those tips with you. Um, probably three or four tips, but um, quite deeply I can uh, potentially explain them. So one and most important thing for me is um, the habit of step back and reflect on who I am. And um, sometimes the modern life, the busy life, just forget about these reflection times. So I believe that um, like all of us has an authentic self, a true self, um, regardless of other things, other influence um, which impact us. Like, for example, regardless of our gender, our culture, our language, uh, beside all of them, we have actually an authentic self, which is sometimes getting covered um, under those layers of your, you know, like culture and background and genders and everything like that, which is your true self and your humanity, being human. So this is the practice that I always do it, like asking this question to myself that, what is my first identity when I define myself in my head? Do I identify myself as a woman or as an Iranian or as an engineer or a leader or mom? You know, what is the first identity that when I think about myself, it comes to my head? Probably whatever it is, it impacts and drives this imposter syndrome in a good way or, you know, like negative way. So it's, I, I know that it's easier said than done, and it's a difficult task and practice maybe takes ages, um, but it's quite um, interesting when you get into this habit of understanding who you are and put these layers aside. So um, probably we can create, like, that's what I did create another narrative of myself instead of letting the society and people around me to define me with these factors that I am. Mm -hmm. um, if it doesn't make sense, I can uh, tell you some examples. Yeah, sure. I think we it, it's making me think about one particular conversation we were having around pushing yourself beyond your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a dangerous thing to talk about again, I think, because if somebody is really fearful and then they push themselves to beyond what they're ready to do and just take that advice at the point that we're giving it, I think it, it can be damaging. So it's sort of taking small steps to, to push yourself into, you know, new areas to see that you can do it and to build that slowly. I mean, we were talking about a fairly simple example of just, you know, the, the whole phenomenon around cold showers and, and sitting in, you know, ice baths and things like that. And it's interesting because I was talking to a girl who was just bathing in the ocean all through August, every single day. She said, it's actually really fascinating because I realized there's all these other things that I can do just because I did that one thing. <laughs> and I think there's that, but also little professional steps in the right direction. If you're somebody who doesn't easily speak up, what are some little elements that you can do to prepare yourself for the next meeting and speak up, figure out a question ahead of time and just take those little steps towards proving it to yourself in a way. But is that yeah. something, are there examples you have that are more specific? To yeah, you? like other than what you just mentioned, um, I can like tell you one story where I actually practice this, who I am and it changed my uh, decision and my behavior. So um, a few weeks or months ago, I was chatting to one of my colleagues who I never met. And uh, we had some interactions, like work interactions. And he was off offering me an opportunity which could potentially help my team, you know, to be um, in a better shape. However, the way he asked me was not really inspiring and rather, you know, like uh, intimidating. And I felt he's kind of uh, pushing me towards doing that. And uh, like, I, was, I wasn't in a good mood as well. And my first reaction was, how dare you are, you know, to do this and uh, like doing this behavior. 
And I was started typing to say, no, I'm not going to take this opportunity or blah, blah. And um, I was under pressure. And then before I sent this message, I was just, you know, I posed and breathed and checked with myself who you are right now when you're just typing and sending the message. Who are you? Are you a person, you know, like uh, who is just um, getting irritated? Or is that identity that I know from myself, who is, you know, like mentoring people, thinking about nurturing them, um, thinking about being patient, being um, acceptable, accepting people. Is this that identity that is active right now or it's someone else? And I was, you know, realizing that this is not I want to be right now. This is not the a person that I choose to be right now. So I decided to activate that part of myself, which is um, kind, nurturing, and, uh, um, you know, like can, can be even mentor sometimes. So I changed, I removed everything that I typed and I uh, told that person that, um, you know, like I rephrased whatever I wanted to say. And I asked nicely and genuinely um, ask him if he's open to receive a feedback from me. And um, I showed him, you know, what tone and um, wrong message that he tried to send through that wrong tone and how it impacted me. And like he turned out, he apologized. He just appreciated the feedback and the honesty. And uh, like it changed, obviously, their relation as well. But that's what I mean, you know, like when you ask who you are, is your first identity a migrant, for example, in the country? So maybe that's something wrong because you take everything with that identity. If you think about yourself as the first identity as a woman, so you interpret everything differently from the time that your first identity is an engineer. So I think how you interpret, how you choose your identity 100% directly impact the way you interpret people's message and behavior. I think that speaks a lot to the cultural element too. You know, I've, I've changed the name of this. This is our seventh interview or conversation. And I call it talking culture with Leonie because everyone I'm working with or 99% of the people I'm working with are working in the Australian context from another cultural background or in the Middle East from another cultural background or working with, you know, there's there's this constant cultural interaction. And we ask people to share their questions with us when they registered through my platform. And, and that was one of them. How do I navigate these, these cultural differences? And yeah, that idea of not taking it personally, it's such an easy thing to say and such a difficult thing to do. I also think I work with a lot of structures around conflict. And so I've been teaching these structures for a very long time. It doesn't mean I do them well. <laughs> I think that's, I, again, I like to identify myself as somebody who navigates conflict well and, and leans into it and wants to know more and becomes curious. But similarly, I, a situation where I had spent a lot of time with a potential client and I'd sent a proposal off, there was no budget, they didn't know what budget it was. And so I just sent, you know, my, my, my usual proposal off and, and then I followed up and bad decision, but I looked at my email before I was going to bed. I was tired. It was the end of the day. It's my rule not to break as well. Do not look at emails before you go to bed. And he just left me one line and said, I won't be going ahead with the proposal. And I was furious. <laughs> and I went into drama mode. I was like, how dare he reply to me like that? Like, why no explanation? Why would he not tell me or at least continue the conversation? It was just dead end. And so similarly, I started, I thought, no, I'm going to sleep on it. But, you know, I was like, I'm gonna, I didn't sleep all night and I thought about it and I was thinking how I was going to respond to this email. And then I woke up in the morning and I thought the conversation I had with this person didn't match up with the email. And so if I'm 
a professional in trying to help people with conflict, I would be curious about what. And so, yeah, this idea of acknowledging a situation, it seems like it didn't end up the way you wanted it. I identified his needs. It seems like what you were looking for was all these things, serving the other person. It wasn't about me, actually. <laughs> it was about him. And, and then articulating a path forward. And I said, why don't we get on a call and just have a chat and we'll see if there's something else we can do. Of course we did. And of course I got the business, you know, but it very easily could have turned out badly. And, and I shot that off. So I'm talking about conflict now, but in that cross-cultural environment, when we're talking about imposter syndrome, if we're always seeing ourselves as the one that doesn't belong or the one that, that doesn't, uh, isn't good enough or is, is a fraud, then sure. yeah, I, I like what you're saying. It, it, it sort of invites us into a higher level of ourselves. It invites us to be in service to someone else and not be thinking about ourselves. And we are so geared to thinking about ourselves. So I think that's something it's, you know, it sort of errs in the direction of a bit of self-help, but I think it's, it's a difficult thing to achieve. So I like your story and let's tell more of these stories about where we did manage to do it because often we don't, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think this, um, like what you said, potentially leads to the second conversation, which is, um, you know, instead of relying on the assumptions, maybe we should rely on the facts. And um, I noticed that most of the time when people feel they're not worthy or they're not good enough because they interpret uh, feelings and behaviors and uh, body language and the tone of the other person, which is not valid, especially in Australia when we have different cultures and everyone have different expression, even facial expression. And probably I learned it from um, the first month that I came to Australia, uh, it's an interesting story because, uh, you know, we were just uh, crossing the street and then there was a driver um, who wanted to be polite and, you know, like um, uh, ask us to just pass the street. And then like his hand gesture was like doing this, which means you go first. And this hand gesture in my culture, it's very rude because when you want to say get out, you just do that. And I was looking at my husband and I said, why do I do that? You know, what's wrong with us? And then we kind of, you know, talked about it with a friend and he said, oh, no, 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 that's quite uh, polite. He wanted to, you know, uh, tell you to just uh, go ahead. And then mm -hmm. I realized, oh my God, I shouldn't really rely on the body language and the expressions that I know and I need to retrain myself. So I started actually like, um, talking to the friends, even um, I'll talk about it, like a workshop about the cultural things, which helped me to understand uh, some cultural differences. And it was really helpful because, you know, I could uh, stop interpreting wrong uh, and um, referring to my own background. And other than that, I learned that, you know, like if you want to take out the facts from the behaviors and uh, statements of people, you should stop interpreting. You should ask for feedback instead of asking for emotional behaviors. Like you expect people just look into your eyes nicely and say nice word. Maybe they have problem expressing these feelings. Maybe, maybe they are shy. Maybe they don't know how to do that. So the best way to convert those um, feeling into the fact is asking for feedback. Like literally. When someone tell me, oh, Neil, you're amazing. I just don't take this feedback. I don't believe in that. I say, okay, I'm amazing in like, thank you, obviously. But in what way I am amazing? Can you elaborate it a little bit so I can learn and change this admire to a nice feedback, constructive feedback? So like I sent a 360 degree uh, feedback to my colleagues every year. I send upward feedback to my own reports. And um, I keep asking for the feedback because I don't want to rely on emotions. It's not healthy. And that helped me to navigate through, you know, some people's attitude much better. And I think that's a really interesting area to have more genuine conversations too, because this sort of flattery or forcing. And one of the questions actually that was sent to us by the audience was how do I receive yeah, 
praise without sounding arrogant or something along those lines. And I think that's a really interesting thing to push back a little bit and say, oh, what, what specifically was it that, that you liked? And I remember a very similar situation because often it leads somewhere really interesting as well because suddenly you're not arrogant. You're not going, oh, thanks, you know, or being embarrassed about it. You're saying, thank you, but what was it specifically? LinkedIn is a really interesting area. I, I remember connecting with a guy who was part of a, a leadership organization and he was working specifically with, with accountants. And I liked his, his profile and I'd looked at it briefly. I didn't spend a lot of time looking at it, but he was in my network. He was in somebody that I wanted in my network. And so I said, I, I really like your, um, your profile and would you mind connecting with me? And he said, what was it specifically that you liked about my profile? And I thought, brilliant. Then I went back and really researched his, his profile and went through and looked, what is it that I really like about it? So it forced me to be more genuine in, in my flattery, in my, in my comments. That led to a coffee, which led to me being one of his guests on his webinar and it being videoed and being very good content for me, actually, on, on my website. So, yes, push back. I think that's great advice. You know, don't just accept empty flattery. Yeah, <laughs> what is it? yeah. And uh, like you just mentioned that, um, you know, you just realized that, oh, what I said wasn't really genuine. So um, another thing that I could uh, think about how I tackle my imposter syndrome, if it happens, is really being honest, showing your vulnerability and live with integrity. Like showing vulnerability, I think it's the enemy of in imposter syndrome, because at the moment that you just show your vulnerability, there is nothing to be scared of. It's, it's really petrifying sometimes when you think, that you don't know anything, you're a fraud and people will catch you. But that time, once you just tell them that I don't know things, there is nothing mm -hmm. to threaten you. Like I remember when I um, started my one of the jobs and uh, my, uh, you know, like onboarding process was really challenging because my position was changed. My domain expertise has been changed and the environment was totally different from other companies that I was working and I um, started to think about what strategy I should take for onboarding myself. And I realized that, okay, the best thing I can do is just show them that this is, an, um, you know, this is a new area for me and I don't have enough context. And um, I just can ask for help and support. And that was really helpful because they were all open to just help me to get on board. And obviously, like what I tried to do instead was focusing on what I, I am good at. So I started building connections with people. And then through that connection, they actually helped me uh, getting on boarded. So, yeah, like I think that's potentially one of other tricks that uh, I uh, always use when I'm not confident or I feel scared or bad. I just talk about it. And that vulnerability is also in that particular example is you serving Atlassian actually more than yourself. So you are saying, look, here is here's my superpower. This is what I'm good at. And this is what I think I can do for you. you you're having these challenges. And this is where I have inside knowledge on how to navigate that. I don't know these things. I don't know as much as that senior engineer or whatever it is. This is a really subtle point. And in almost all of my training, we do some work in that area of how do I serve the other person? And we do a writing activity systematically no one does it and I think this is also just part of the human experience is that we're we're trying to push our own careers forward so it's about me it's about but the vulnerability element I think is letting go of it being about you and saying I don't know this how can I help you but you know here is how I can help you and then people don't mind so much the things that you don't know and I think when you do speak up about it, the other challenge I know a lot of the people that I work with have is how they how to speak up in meetings. And often they don't want to ask questions because they feel like I've been employed in this role. I should know the answer. I'll go and find the answer elsewhere. But often what I say is if I am asking someone to do a task from my team, 
and they don't ask questions about what it should look like or how it should be, then I almost get nervous that they're not going to deliver to me what, what I want because they haven't asked enough questions. So even that might be somewhat cultural, but it might also just be that vulnerability and allowing yourself to go, oh, I'm using my critical mind to go, it could be this or it could be this. Could you give me more information? So I love that point so many reasons and uh, to your point you said uh, you just said that you know like you need to understand what value are you going to add and offer that to the team or to your environment and I think that's an interesting process because sometimes I I had a lot of conversation with different people and they said I don't know what value I'm going to add like literally they had a lot of skills values but they weren't sure what is the value that they can add. And that's really challenging because, and it leads to the uh, third point that I wanted to talk for, you know, like um, helping with imposter syndrome, which is building up your own confidence. And there are three ways to do that, at least in my experience. <clears throat> like one of them is celebrating my success. Like people um, always like to be recognized by other people. Um, they don't recognize their good work. They just wait and sit for other people to tell them how amazing you are. And this is something that I try to, you know, practice to identify what the small things that I've done and it was helpful or valuable. And just sometimes I celebrate for that, like buying a chocolate for myself or having a drink, you know. <laughs> and um, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think it's really important because, um, and I brought it to my team's practice, like I made it a ritual in my team. So in all my uh, team meetings, we spent 15 minutes of the uh, meeting at the beginning to write and reflect. So like we just sit quietly, we reflect and see what we have done last week and what we win and what we learned and what we failed. So we can just write down all these things and we all of us found it really fascinating because all the small things that you, you've done and you don't think about them are actually valuable. And if you don't do this practice, you don't know about your strengths. So that's one thing to build our confidence, like in my way. Um, another thing that I just uh, told at the beginning of the session, let's talk about it more, is building our support system. So some of us lack emotional support from family, friends, colleagues, environment. And um, we need to build this supporting system ourselves. Like we are responsible for our problems. So we need someone who is honest with us, who can talk about how we did. Is this something we failed or is this we can improve? Like kind of mirroring our skills. So personally, in my professional life, I have so many mentors, like in different um, ages or in different, um, you know, occasions, I choose different mentors. And uh, I remember like almost the whole career, I have one or two mentors at the same time. I find the sponsors for my, myself. And by a sponsor, I mean someone who is uh, beyond mentoring, someone who is investing in you, you know, like walk your, walk your success basically and make sure that you are there when you want to be there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the different uh, like solution exists. You can like basically when I joined, when I came to Australia, I found my community, like tech community. I joined user groups. I built a lot of networks, like supporting network, people who genuinely caring about your growth. And I always use my, for example, one-on-one -on -one with my managers in the best way that I can. Like I really get surprised when someone come to the one-on-one -on -one and say, I don't have anything for this week. I said, wow, like how it can be possible. That's the best time for you to share my experience, show an advocate what you did, um, ask for support, you know, like this, these one-on-ones, I think they are uh, kind of overlooked the value of them. And we think that we should use them for asking for promotion, asking for leaves. They are not really important, but what is important is making sure that your you share the experience of your manager. And this is what and I do. Yeah. Like, this yeah, is great like, because 
talking about your personal experience, which is kind of a bottom-up approach, but you're mm-hmm. also a manager and you're talking about yeah. how you nurture your team. And I think this this two-angled approach is, is really profound. So when, when you don't know what value you're giving, you're actually saying, come and tell me. As the manager, you're saying, I want to know about that because I can probably help you. I can help you to unpack it. I can give you some activities like even the, you know, reflection exercises, which I think also is amazing. And I don't do it enough and I need to do it more and I don't celebrate my wins. So all these things, I think just little things that, you know, as a manager, I would imagine that you're, (laughs) I would love you as my manager. (laughs) It would be very helpful. But, you know, we need to also educate managers how to give this feedback to people because I'm sure a lot of people do go to their one-on-one and say, I don't have anything this week and nothing happens. But to sort of keep pushing people to say, well, where are you going? What is it that you're contributing? And I'm not saying this to prove yourself. I'm saying this because I want to help you understand more about yourself. That seems beautiful to me. Absolutely. Yeah, I found our one-on-ones like, throughout my career, the most uh, beneficial meetings that I had in my whole career. And obviously, you know. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. You're working for some very big organizations. So what about for people who are in smaller organizations, which may not have such a a structure of the the coach or the one-on-one, how do you find Mm. these mentors or sponsors? Um, First of all, we can ask for it. Like if your manager doesn't really know about it or doesn't allocate time, we can ask for it. Like I had one manager in one of my smaller teams that I used to be, and he didn't really, you know, like think that one-on-one is important. And I asked him, can we have some, you know, casual sessions every week? And I was initiating this on one-on-one, but even if that's not possible, I think joining the, um, community is more important because like literally for myself I never thought that what if I lose my job because I have like huge network out of my job really out of my company which is always supportive and I feel like belonging really I don't feel that this is a small team that I'm in then that's it like I should stick to this never really like I always have a lot of companies a lot of friends around me and a lot of you know great networks so I think we can build our networks and get support from them find the mentors from the community there are so many amazing people yeah was it your mentors who urged you to get into public speaking I I know that's we were just thinking about that particular aspect is that public speaking isn't something most people come to me and say I love it I love telling stories I love connecting with an audience so how did you love it interesting uh, interesting question um to be honest with you I didn't have the passion for public speaking itself like this is not something that you have passion for and uh, it was uh, in fact was my biggest fear probably in my whole life And um, I was even, you know, when I was um, like teenager, I was even shy to talk about um, like personal things in the smaller group of people. But what drove me to be active in public speaking was my passion towards helping others to understand and grow. That was the trigger because I was always in the, you know, tech industry, which we lack, obviously, great communication. We lack a bit of empathy, we like storytelling. And I was always challenged to learn new things because everything was so complicated and I had to spend a lot of time to understand things. And once I realized you know, that topic, I could simplify it in a story shape and tell my other colleagues. And I got a lot of great feedback. Like I remember when I did one talk, one super senior guy came to me and said, Nelly, this is amazing. That was the first time I could really understand the concept of like, it was about concurrent connections. He said that was the first time I could really feel this concept. And, you know, those kind of feedbacks, when I got it, it helped me. It was fulfilling. It was satisfying. So that was um, the reason I got more into public speaking, not really, you know, like shining on the stage. It wasn't my character, really. And <laughs> another reason was um, I really um, think when I talk about share something, teach something, it became part of my deep learning, really. And that topic never 
um, goes off my mind. So that was another reason. Like I really wanted to learn something. So I teach something. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I want to come back to your points, your tips from before, because I took a bit of a deviation there, but you were talking about this confidence and building your confidence back in. And how sure. do you compare yourself to others or, you know, cause we're in these competitive environments. Yeah. Like, uh, as you said, uh, obviously one of my mentors, um, nudge me to do more public speaking and um, I always you know appreciate what he did and he always said um, I offered it but the one who took it was you so we always have this uh, discussion with each other um, another thing that I believe it can help with you know like um, probably building confidence is um, comparing ourselves with ourselves like we are living in the world of comparison and everyone try to just increase this imposter syndrome by comparing us to other people they always said that compare yourself with your yesterday and see how much improvement you had so that's some this continuous improvement i think something which helps you build confidence instead of confidence instead of ruining your confidence by comparing yourself with others so that's mm -hmm. another thing yeah, I'm just um, noticing in the chat too, we had some comments about um, imposter syndrome in a blameless um, organizational culture versus a blaming one. Mm. So I know, well, maybe that's a nice segue into just discussing Atlassian a little bit because you've worked in many organizations, but how, you know, how is that working out at Atlassian? I totally uh, relate with this comment. Um, I think the goal is not getting rid of imposter syndrome, is being aware of what we can um, do to track it and, you know, like um, navigate it in a better and faster way. I remember I had one comment from one of the engineers. I was just becoming manager in another company. I was new and I asked for feedback as usual. And that guy, um, he didn't have enough, you know, good communication skills. So he told me, yeah, you're not bad, but my previous manager was better. <laughs> and it was like literally the first month that I just started to be manager, like a few years ago. I was really devastated and, you know, feeling bad to say, oh my God, I'm just uh, messing up everything. What I did, and I think that's the key uh, for me in most of problems in my life, was breaking down my problems. Like I was literally sitting for hours, started writing and say, what is really hurting me? And I started to break down the problem. Like why this guy is saying that? Do I really feel that I'm not a good manager? What do you think you lack? Do I like the, you know, like people side? project management side, technical side. So I started to break it down. And then at the end of my kind of exploration, I realized that it just came from a blaming culture and that's it. And I can, I know that I have some gaps. I just became manager, but I don't take that comment. I don't take it personally. And I know that my gaps are here. So let's navigate through them instead of getting offended. And it was really helpful. And I do it for most of my personal problems. I just break them, break them down. And probably that's something I learned from being an engineer because being an engineer means break down problems into smaller pieces so you can solve them. Yeah. And that was really helpful. So I recommend probably don't take um, personal when something in the toxic environment shoot at you and try yeah. to figure it out. It makes me think about something we haven't discussed yet. And, and when is it not imposter syndrome? And mm. I think it's exactly what you're saying there is imposter syndrome is when you have all the skills and you don't believe you have the capabilities persistently. Mm. Whereas what you're saying there is you're saying, okay, I don't have all the skills. So if someone's criticizing me for skills I don't yet have, then maybe that can be okay. I've just got to learn those things. And I remember in our previous conversations, you were saying um, that we're always on a journey. That was one of the tips is that we're always learning. 
And if you remember that, we're not perfect at anything and we are always learning. And I do always think about the, the managers or the staff members who don't ask enough questions or, or feel in themselves that they don't feel confident asking questions. I think that's a nice thing to remember is that I am not here to be perfect. I'm here to help you in the best way I can. I'm here to help the person that's above me or below me in, in whatever way I can. And sometimes that means asking for clarification. And I think that also links to when you were giving feedback to the gentleman earlier and you said, do you mind if I give you some feedback on how I received on, on the tone of the email and how I received that? You asked before going and telling that person what you thought. That little thing has changed my life a lot. Just being, if I want to give feedback to someone, because I've got a lot of opinions. <laughs> I think if I ask somebody, do you mind if I share my opinion with you? And they say, yes, then we're in a very different place than if I just went and spouted my opinion off without asking first. So true, that true. creates a much more harmonious environment, at least, I think. Back to your question about how Atlassian helped navigating this imposter syndrome. I think that's something that I learned from Atlassian because when you, you know, like uh, Mike Cannonbrook obviously experienced this imposter syndrome and we always think about how we can help others to navigate this feeling. So we have a lot of, you know, like trainings for managers, like for example, some, some of the um, approaches that Atlassian use, maybe I should talk about that. So um, psychological safety is one big issue in this community right now, because we all work from home, we have flexibility, we love our flexibility, but at the same time, this flexibility causes some psychological safety, lack of psychological safety, which means, let's put it like this, when you go to the office, when you see your colleagues, they tap on your shoulder, they say, you know, how are you doing, how was your weekend? have some chit chats, have coffee with each other. So it helps you feel safe, supported and loved. Mm -hmm. But when you are in the remote environment, you should actually make it happen. You should make effort to have this conversation with your team. Otherwise it's not automatically happen. So in Atlassian, there are a lot of trainings for managers to just, you know, like help them having more empathy and EQ basically to see how they can build trust and connection with the team and between the like people in the team. So that's one thing they do. Another thing which is really interesting is appreciation and recognition. Like even saying a simple thank you, it's just do magic. It goes a long way. And I think like um, the female engineer, the junior one that I talked about at the beginning of the session who felt inadequate and um, like doesn't have any value to the team. She told me that when they went for lunch time with the team, one of the senior developers in the team told her, like had some chat and told her, I really respect you. And I think it's amazing to work with you and have you in the team. And she was like, I really couldn't believe that he's saying, like telling the truth. I thought he is just making fun of me. And then at the end, when I realized that he's serious, it changed my whole mood and my, um, you know, like confident. So seriously, like saying something, giving feedback to people can do a lot, help them a lot. Mm. And people need a mirror, like, like human needs mirror in, in the life. So that's why we live as a group. And another way that Atlassian um, help with this syndrome is feedback loop. So we really care about feedback loop and we learn how to give feedback to each other. Like, as you said, first thing is you ask the person if he's ready to take this feedback. Maybe they're not in a mood. Maybe they're not open to hear any feedback right now, but they love to do it in the, you know, later. And we always follow SBI, which is situation behavior impact. Like I never gave feedback to my team without following these three uh, dimensions. Like basically I tell them in this situation, like for example, the meeting that we had, this was the behavior you have done. And the impact was, my, maybe it's constructive or destructive, doesn't matter. I talked about the impact that they have. 
which was really helpful because when you tell the person this is the behavior, they said, okay, so what what's what else? Like so what's wrong with that? You know, yeah, exactly. But when you talk about the impact, they actually can digest the feedback. And as I said, the feedback should be really specific, otherwise it's not really um, helpful. Yeah, so these are the things That's that right. we mainly do yeah. in the class. That's a really nice point to end on because I really wanted to get to that Atlassian point. And equally, I've just had a quick look through some of the questions that people submitted. And I think we've hit most of them in one way or another, maybe not explicitly every time, but I think we've we've hit most of them. The one question that stands out a little bit is, um, how can I make my boss proud of me? And I think that's kind of makes me a little nervous because it, what we're really talking about here is not to receive the gratification for gratification's sake. You want to receive the feedback because you want to be checking that you're actually in, in unison with your team. So that idea of serving someone else is so that you can help someone else's life that makes us feel good rather than standing there and go, I want someone to feel proud of me because that will, you know, massage my ego. It's just mm. a word choice, but I guess it's a very subtle difference, which I think can make a big big difference in the interpretation. But Nelly, I'm so grateful. We've got a little bit over time, but I, I think we hit some really interesting points tonight. And, and I, I really do feel we got most of out what we, what we wanted to talk about. So I'm so grateful for your experience and your amazing journey. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed um, as well. And um, please share my LinkedIn email, uh, whatever feels comfortable with the audience. So we can chat more if you need. And if there is any question, uh, I'm here to respond. Fantastic. I will do that. I'll send an email out with a recording and I'll link to Nellie's LinkedIn, but also to the Mike Cannon Brooks TED Talk. So you can have a look at that and see if it's interesting for you as well. That sounds good. Um, have a lovely evening, everybody. And um, bon appetit if you haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> uh, if you've had your morning coffee, if you're on the other side of the world and uh, drink well. <laughs> Next time. See you in two months time, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Leonie. Thanks, Nelly. Thank Thanks, Leonie. Thanks, Nelly. No worries. Uh -huh. Thanks, Leonie.